following message is part of the preaching ministry of Berlin Baptist Church in Sally, South Carolina. We pray God's richest blessings for you as you study His Word. All right, well, if you would find your place in your Bible in Colossians chapter 2. We're continuing on our study through this great letter. And uh, before we actually read the text and get into this a little bit, I want to just give a brief word of introduction, maybe help our minds center in on, on what we're going to talk about. I went to South America. I've been four different times to the country of Peru. And I uh, hope, actually hope to get back into that area sometime sooner rather than later. And uh, here's what I noticed. When you travel to another country, you don't get to continue to abide by the laws of the United States. And you also don't get to assert necessarily all the rights of the United States as a citizen. Okay? But even more so, if I were to move permanently to another country, I wouldn't get to bring with me all the things I enjoy here. Does that make sense? You follow what I'm saying? So I would have to then... um, be acclimated or a, a, what they call assimilate into this new culture and abide by their laws and just enjoy whatever uh, rights or privileges might be afforded to me as a citizen of this new country. Does that make sense? Everybody with me? Okay. In much the same way, when we get overtaken by the Holy Spirit of God, when we repent of our sins, when we surrender by faith to Christ, we have effectively changed our citizenship. Now, we're a member of a new country to which we've never been before. We're going there. But we're already functioning as citizens of a new country. So here's what that means. That means now we're strangers in a strange land. We're foreigners. We're living in a place that's not our home. You you tracking with me? But are we? Are we really? Are we too comfortable living where we are and not focusing enough on living like we're where we're going to be. I've heard it said about someone, it is one person said about another person, well, you know, he is so heavenly minded, he's just no earthly good. I, I take an issue with that statement. You know Why? Maybe the problem is not that that person is too heavenly minded. Maybe it's that everybody else isn't. Maybe it's because we're living in a culture and a world where 
people aren't heavenly minded enough. I could be wrong. I'm not. (laughs) But I could be. Let's turn our attention to Colossians chapter 2. We're going to pick up where we left off last week. So we'll be starting in Colossians 2 verse 16 and going through verse 4 of the following chapter. So here's what the Apostle Paul was inspired to write by the Holy Spirit. Therefore, no one is to act as your judge in regard to food or drink or in respect to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath day, things which are a mere shadow of what is to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one keep defrauding you of your prize by delighting in self-abasement and the worship of the angels, taking his stand on visions he's seen, inflated without cause by his fleshly mind, and not holding fast to the head from whom the entire body, being supplied and held together by the joints and ligaments, grows with a growth which is from God. If you've died with Christ to the elementary principles of the world, why, as if you were living in the world, do you submit yourself to decrees such as do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, which all refer to the things destined to perish with use, in accordance with the commandments and teachings of men? These are matters which have, to be sure, the appearance of wisdom in self-made religion and self-abasement and severe treatment of the body, but are of no value against fleshly indulgence. Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with Him in glory. Father, I pray in Jesus' name that You will speak to our hearts very clearly, help us understand, and help us be obedient. We pray for Your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Now there's a a lot to be seen and understood in this text. I'm I'm going to try not to speak unnecessary things. I'm going to try to be focused here. Sometimes that's hard for me to do. But there's there's several things, uh, four that I have identified, probably more than that, but let's just walk through this text verse by verse and let me point out some things so hopefully we can understand in the context of what is written here, what are we supposed to do with that? And you see the title of the message. In the bulletin it says, Living in Freedom. And I wanted to try to specify that a little bit. Living in Christ means living in freedom. Number one, do not be judged primarily by earthly standards. So these first two verses, 16 and 17, do not be judged primarily by earthly standards. The first word of verse 16 says, therefore. So what does that mean? We've got to back up. So if you think to last week, that passage from verse 6 to verse 15, a lot of what Paul was talking about, really from verse 8 to verse 15, was an explanation or a demonstration, really, of the sufficiency of Jesus. You know, we talk about the Word, you know, we talk about the Bible, we talk about it being 
uh, inerrant, infallible, inspired. And as we think about those things, those things are all true, but sometimes we neglect that other word, sufficient. It's sufficient. So it's not just without error, it's not just infallible, it's not just divinely inspired, it's sufficient, it's enough, more than enough for us. Jesus is more than enough for us. So this therefore, look at verse 15 for example. The last thing Paul said in last paragraph last week, when he, Jesus, had disarmed all the rulers and authorities, he made a public display of them, having triumphed over them through him. So God, through Christ, disarmed all rulers and authorities, and then He led them on a public display, almost like public shame, to demonstrate His authority over them. So because in Christ, God is all-sufficient for us, He's done everything, He is all-authoritative, then, verse 16, therefore, don't let people judge you by an earthly standard when you're submitting to a heavenly standard. Does that make sense? So, people want to qualify us all the time, and we do it, I mean, I do it too. For example, I don't make a practice of this, but if I ever find myself in a Walmart, I can't help myself. I mean, I just look around, I'm like, what in the world is going on in this place? You know, did... It, did somebody pass a mirror before they exited and got in the car and came here? Maybe not. I don't know. And, and I have to catch myself because that's wrong. I, I mean, sometimes it's mildly entertaining, but it's wrong. It's, it's wrong for me to do that because I'm being judgmental. But when we're trying to hold to a standard set down by the Lord Jesus Christ and then yet we still allow people to try to assert this opinion on us or this standard on us that quite frankly most of the time they don't hold to themselves and that's usually what happens when people judge they want to have one standard for themselves and one standard for everybody else that's why we've got to be careful but the the warnings in this chapter are based on Paul's explanation of the sufficiency of Jesus so look very carefully at the types of judgments they're making. Verse 16 identifies food, drink, festivals, new moons, Sabbath days. You know what all those are? Those are specifically Jewish regulations that come out of Judaism. So people are still... This is a church that Paul's writing to, and these are new believers, but there's a very Jewish context and influence around them. So there's still people trying to uh, put these influences and these regulations on them that want them to hold to these laws and regulations, even though Christ set us free. We're, we're, we're not under law, we're under the grace of God, which means we're not free to do whatever we want, we're free to do what Jesus tells us to do. There's a big difference there. So grace is not a license to just sin, Grace is the freedom to follow Jesus and not have to check a list of do's and don'ts. And so that's what's going on here. Uh, there was a lot of false teaching in this church that was trying to press in on the church and change the direction. And so Paul's saying, don't let people judge you by earthly standards. You're submitting to a higher standard. It's a higher standard to follow Jesus. 
than it is to submit. You know what? Let me let me say it this way. You can you can be within the law and not be within the spirit of Christ. Do you know that? You can be legal but not be righteous. Because Jesus calls us to a higher standard, right? So these things that that this this uh, false teaching wave that these teachers that have infiltrated this church, they are not to be a test of Christianity or a test of good fellowship. It has nothing to do with going to church like in today's world. Like here's what could happen: uh, if we were so inclined, we could keep a record. And I mean, we we like to keep statistics, right? That's helpful to to track our progress and see what we're doing, see if there's things we need to address. But it would be wrong to judge someone's level of spirit. Listen to me, spiritual maturity by by these things. Well, let's look at their Sunday school attendance. Let's look at their worship attendance. Let's look at their giving to the church. And let's, let's use those things as, well, let's see if you're a good Christian or not. Right? That would be a, a mistake to judge based on those things. Now, does that mean those things are not important? This means yes, this means no. Does that mean that those things are not important? No. They are important. But are we wanting to be legalistic and say, well, if you're not doing those things, you're not a good Christian? No, that's not what we're doing. Because that would be an error. That would be judgmental. Because a lot of preachers don't ever preach on finances. They never preach on tithing or things like that. You know why? Because here's the principle. I'm going to preach in such a way where Jesus gets a hold of your heart. Because if Jesus has your heart... I shouldn't have to tell you to do these other things. Does that make sense? If Jesus has got you and you've got Him, don't be judged primarily by earthly standards. It's appeal for Christian liberty when it comes to man-made legalism. Number two, do not be disqualified for the prize. Verses 18 and 19. Now what's the prize? The prize is union with Jesus, union with Christ. Don't be disqualified for the prize. Uh, the, the text says in verse 18, let no one keep defrauding you of your prize. And the, the literal translation, if I could write it in English, it would say, don't let anybody act like an umpire against you. Like rule you out. That's, that's really what's being said there. So, don't allow people to give an adverse decision against you. And here's the types of things they might use to do that. Look at verse 18. Delighting in self-abasement, the worship of the angels, visions they've seen, inflated without cause by a fleshly mind. See, the false teachers were filled up with pride. In in other words, uh, picture in your mind... A Pharisee. You know what a Pharisee did in the first century and before? Pharisees were the religious leaders of the day and they were really, really skilled at telling everyone else what they should be doing but not following those things themselves. So, I'm going to be 
um, your judge, but don't you dare expect those things of me. I'm just, I just know what you ought to be doing, right? Rules for thee and not for me. That's how that looks. And that's wrong. But that's what this is, uh, is happening here with these false teachers, filled with pride, uh, delighting in uh, self-abasement, like making, yourself, like making yourself suffer, or delighting in the worship of the angels, where angels are worshiping God. And they, these false teachers had claimed to have joined in with the angels in worshiping God as they entered into some heavenly realm. Like they claimed they had this vision, and so they, they were then looking down on those who had not experienced those things. So I'm, I'm about to say something, and I want to give you notice. I don't want anybody to get... Well, alright, never mind. I'm about to say something, and it might hurt your feelings. That's not my intention. My intention is to tell you the truth. There is a danger in our lives to allow our experiences to overrule what God says. There's a potential error of saying, well, I, I experience, you can't tell me this is wrong because this is what I experience. Well, okay, fair. I, I'm not telling you something's wrong. I'm, I'm, at, I'm pleading with you to open your Bible. Because here's what I know, and I'm not thinking of any specific instance, because I just don't have one on top of my head, but here's what I know. Whatever we experience, whatever we see or hear or, or do, we have to filter those things through the lens of what God says. Because here, what I know is that, that I have a Bible in my hand. This is 100%, 66 books, guaranteed, inspired, perfect Word of God. No errors. I know that. That means I can't allow something outside of this to tell me that this is not exactly right. Because if I've done that, then I have a new God. I have a new authority. You follow what I'm saying? That means that if I allow anything external to God's Word to cast doubt on God's Word, then I must not believe God's Word. Because we can't have it both ways. We can't believe the Bible when it works for us and then elevate something else above the Bible when it doesn't. Or when it's not convenient or when it doesn't feel good or when it's not beneficial. God's Word is either true or it's not. We don't get to pick and choose. And so if it's true, we must live as if it's true. And if it's not, then we should just throw the whole thing out. You follow what I'm saying? There's no middle of the road when it comes to God because His Word is representative of His person. If we throw God's Word out, if we question God's Word, we're questioning God. If we throw His Word out, we throw Him out. If we throw him out, that means we've created a God of our own making, of our own image. It's dangerous ground. When we question God and his authority and his word, we have effectively, we might, we might never say it this way, but here's what we've done. We have elevated ourselves to God because we have just sat in judgment over God and his word. We have looked 
as a created being at the one who created us and question Him. Now, it's have you ever questioned God? I have. I've asked all kinds of questions. Hadn't always gotten an answer. But I haven't questioned Him as if I'm right and He's wrong. I've questioned Him because I just didn't know. And, and I, wanted, I wanted to know. Sometimes He'll reveal things and sometimes He won't. Because He's God and that's His prerogative. He's God, I'm not. Isaiah 55, 8 and 9. Your ways are not my ways. Your thoughts are not my thoughts, declares the Lord. Just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. We are not God. And we, we dare not presume to be. We've, he's given us His Word as a gift. It's not, it's not prison. It's a, it's a jailbreak. It's freedom. There's great freedom in God's Word. So he's, he's telling us, as Paul was inspired to tell this church, he's by extension telling us, don't be judged primarily by earthly standards. Don't be disqualified for the prize of union with Christ. And look at verse 19. You know why they were doing this? They're not holding fast to the head. The head is Christ. They're not holding on to Jesus. That's why when you start to loosen your grip on Jesus, you start to grab for something else. And you grab for things that will never, ever measure up to Jesus. So, we have to hold fast to the head. We have to hold on to Jesus. We have to hold on to the heavenly standard. So we're not judged by earthly standards. We're not disqualified for the prize. Number three, don't impose regulations on yourself in the name of false humility. Don't impose regulations on yourself in the name of false humility. And, and here's what this means. This is a, a terrible pitfall for legalism. Because here's what happens. If I'm uh, convicted to do or, or, or not do something, then if I feel like the Lord would have me do that or not do that, then okay, that's fine. But then when I take that standard and then I try to apply it to everybody else, well, if... If, if this is right for me under God, well, then that must be right for everybody else. So that means if you're not doing what I'm doing, then you're wrong. Or you're not, uh, no, no, not wrong. You're, you're not as holy as I am. You're not as close to Jesus as I am if you're not doing these things that I'm doing. That's, that's textbook legalism. Okay, and we don't want that. So when you get to verse 20, the Bible says, if you died with Christ, to the elementary principles of the world, why, as if you're living in the world, do you submit yourself to these decrees? Now, it lists them again. This is a, a, a look back to verse 16. Don't handle, don't taste, don't touch. This is a, Look at verse 22, the second half of 22. In accordance with commandments and teachings of men. Remember, this was the problem. Man-made laws, but uh, I want to put the same weight on the man-made laws as what God says. So I want to elevate man-made regulations to be equal with Scripture. Bad idea. That's wrong. So here's what verse 20 teaches us. The word if, you could really translate it to say since or because. So since you've died with Christ, why are you still acting like you're a citizen of the world? 
if you die with Christ, your citizenship is in heaven. Remember what I said earlier as we started? If I, if I go to another country, if I become a citizen of another country, I am now under the laws and rights and privileges of that country. So if, if we have changed our citizenship and now we're under Christ, we, we belong to Christ in heaven, then why are we still trying to live like the world? Did you realize, you know, and, and I believe it's James who said, if uh, friendship with the world is enmity toward God? Did you know that it's not... Uh, this is a double negative, never mind. Did you know it's normal... I was about to say not abnormal. Did you know that it's normal for the world to look oddly at Christians? That's normal. That should be normal. Because the more comfortable you are in the world, the, the, the less you cause confusion at your lifestyle or your beliefs in the world, then it's likely because there's not enough distinction or difference. Here's, let me put it in real, real life terms. It's easy to defend a faith no one knows you have. If I, if I stand next to someone I know who I suspect may not have a relationship with Christ, and then another third party would observe both of us, and if they can't tell a difference between me and Him, something is drastically wrong. If, if someone can't look at my life, and they won't know the Gospel, because I have to speak the Gospel, but if they can't look at my lifestyle and at least notice something's different, than other folks I work with or I know. or If, if there's no difference, then, then that's on me. That's something wrong with me. It's not their observation. It means that, that I'm not living for Christ well enough. I'm not demonstrating my beliefs well enough. And that's a problem. So, these regulations, this word in the first word of verse 20, if or since, uh, it's, it's actually referring to a past moment. When it says, if you've died with Christ, since you've died with Christ, it's pointing to a time in the past. Remember, he's writing to a church, writing to believers. But here, do you know what point he's talking about? If you've died with Christ, looking back, he's talking about when they, when they followed Jesus, when they got saved. So that, that's a, a completed moment. You followed Jesus, so didn't that make a difference? I've heard, I've heard people say, um, you know, on such and such day, in such and such year, I got saved. And I still hadn't gotten over it. I, I pray we don't ever get over it. I pray that when Jesus grabs hold, it is such a monumental moment and day in our lives that we're, not, we're never going to get over it. We're going to 
hold fast to Jesus. And, and this is what happens when that falls away. When you, when you let go and you move away, you don't hold on to Jesus. You start living to a standard that's not heavenly. You start living to an earthly standard. And that, that's the question Paul asks in verse 20. Why are you doing that? Didn't you die with Jesus? Didn't you uh, have unity with Christ when He saved you? And these things are uh, verse the second part or the first part of verse twenty-two. These things are destined to perish. This is about commandments and teachings of men. This is a, a strictly human rule or regulation. It means man thought them up and then told everybody else what to do. I mean, well, why are we why are we following that? And we're supposed to be following Jesus. Verse 23, Paul points out that these things have the appearance of wisdom. They don't do us any good. In other words, you can try and try and continue to try to be good enough and do the right things and not do the wrong things. And and here's what's going to happen every single time. It's going to leave you unfulfilled and still searching for the next thing you have to do to try to be good enough. Friends, we, we don't we can't be good enough. That's why Jesus died. Jesus died for us because there was no other way. We can't be righteous enough. We can't keep the law enough. Our best work on our best day is woefully inadequate. Jesus saves. Period. Jesus saves. Not our works, not our good thoughts, our intentions. Jesus saves. So these things may appear to be wise, but look what it says in verse 23. Self-made religion. Self-abasement. Severe treatment of the body. They're no value against fleshly indulgence. Christianity is not a religion of do's and don'ts. It's a relationship with Christ that transforms us from the inside out. That's how that works. Before I get to this very last point here, um, I want to remind you I say remind you, maybe you haven't seen it or, or don't know about it. Back in 1999, there was this movie. It's called The Sixth Sense. Bruce Willis was the main, main character, I guess. Played this doctor. And uh, long story short, basically for this passage, he, um, there was this young boy, his name was Cole, and they began having these conversations. And the little boy saw people that weren't there. He had a special gift. And there's a one point in um, the doctor's character's name, Malcolm Crow, and he's speaking with Cole about this condition. Let me just give you this, just a little snippet of the conversation. Here's, here's how it went. The little boy said, I see dead people. And the doctor said, in your dreams? He shook his head. No. While you're awake? He nodded. 
And he said, dead people like in graves and coffins? And the boy said, walking around like regular people. They don't see each other. They only see what they want to see. They don't know they're dead. The doctor said, how often do you see them? And the boy said, all the time. They're everywhere. I want you to listen very carefully. Verse 20. If you have died with Christ. Verse 3, chapter 3. You have died. Your life is hidden with Christ. It is dangerous if we have truly died with Christ to not realize we're dead. Walking around like regular people, they only see what they want to see. and They don't know they're dead. That's theological truth. If we have, Paul said in Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live. Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. I've got to know that I've died with Christ. I've got to live like that. Number four, seek the things above. Seek the things that are above. So, there's two commands really in, in this last text here, these last four verses. But look at the, the rationale for it. Therefore, if you've been raised up with Christ. So now you've seen, you've died with Christ. Verse 20. And now, verse 1, you've been raised up with Christ. That's what union with Jesus looks like. That's what baptism pictures. Buried with Him in baptism. Raised to walk in a new life. That's the unity with Jesus. So it says, keep seeking the things above where Christ is. Verse 2, set your mind. It's also a present imperative. So it's keep setting your mind on the things above, not things on the earth. And, and if that were not enough, verse 3, for you have died, or because you've died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when He is revealed, Christ, who's our life, you'll be revealed also with Him in glory. So, the, the last command, you had three negatives and now a positive. Don't be judged primarily by the earthly standard. Don't be disqualified for the prize. Don't um, impose those regulations on yourself for false humility. But now set your mind on things above. Seek the things above. It's like your mind and your heart. Union with Jesus is foundational to this whole life, the, the Christian life. So we have to keep seeking, keep thinking about Christ because there's that past tense, verse 3. You've died. You have died. Your life is hidden with Christ. That means something. 
that means something very crucial for the Christian. If we truly belong to Jesus, then we need to live like we truly belong to Jesus. It's as simple as that. And I say simple as that. It's as simple as that to explain. It's not simple. It's not easy. But we can't continue to subject ourselves to this lesser earthly standard. We're subject to a higher calling. And this calling, it may have higher standards, but it's also got greater liberty founded in the grace of God. We've got liberty, freedom. That's why the, the true freedom we find is in living as a slave to Jesus. It's kind of ironic. You surrender to Jesus and you find freedom. I put this last statement up here. I just want to read it to you. We do not need to perform in order to be accepted. God has accepted us in Christ, so we're now free to engage in the good works of His kingdom. So we should rejoice and be glad. And we should live a life of obedience. Folks, we can try all we want to live for Jesus. And if we try to do that, Without Jesus, it's never going to work. In order to live for Jesus, you need Jesus. So if you don't know Him, you need to know Him. And He needs to know you. Let me pray. Thank you for listening to this message from God's Word. For more information on Berlin Baptist Church, we invite you to explore our website at www.berlinchurchsc.org.